good morning. It's good to be here in the metropolis of Chattanooga. Man, you look different from way up here. I know. I thought about coming down. I don't know if you want me up here or down there. Which one do you want me? Down here. Down here, I do. I agree. Ah. You can you can please some of the people all the time and all the people none of the time. Is that how that works? Oh yeah, look at that. I can smell your breath from down here. Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, seriously though, love you, love your church, love your pastor. My name is Jeremiah Bullock, and uh, I'm I'm thrilled. And I'm actually a member of your church, man. Yeah, I'm actually a member. I just never come. <laughs> Open your Bibles up if you'd be willing to uh, Ephesians. And I want to continue looking with you at something we've been looking at here all weekend, and it's been it's been really great to be with you. Um, I can I confessed to uh, I confessed to you guys on Friday night that um, during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, like everybody else, um, it's kind of confined to my house, which for an intro introvert it was it's basically heaven and so uh, I was at home Thursday near Thursday I was home um, uh, what was it April May June and most of July and you know for the I'm a beekeeper so I was in the bee yard the whole time and doing my deal but um, the Lord really began to speak to me like I think he did everybody else you with me hey brother you with me just checking you out. Just looking right at you. Yeah, the one that was talking. Yeah, that was you. That was you. Um, I, was, uh, I was at home and, and was really, the Lord, just listening to the Lord and um, got interested. He really pointed me back to the book of Ephesians. And I really was coming back to this idea that's been stirring in my heart for years and years and years. What does it, I mean, when it really comes down to it, are you with me? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm consistently running into individuals. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about anybody in your church, okay? Just all those people in all the other churches in the world. I'm consistently running into people that kind of think Christianity is, revolves around showing up to a building on Sunday, throwing some cash in the plate, believing that God exists all those kinds of good things that make us Christian. When you come into the New Testament, none of that is true. You can show up to a building. You can believe God exists. You can believe he's holy. You can believe he's good. You know, all of that kind of stuff. Satan believes God exists. Amen. Satan confesses that he's holy. All these places in the New Testament where demons come out and they're like, it's the holy one of God doesn't make them Christian. Okay. When I, when I first got saved back in 1995, one of the passages, because I actually started reading the Bible, one of the passages that really stuck out to me was this, you know, Matthew 24 and 25 section where Jesus is talking about the day of judgment. And he says on the day of judgment, it's going to be terrible because there's going to be all kinds of people who say, Lord, Lord, I showed up to church on Sunday. I preached like pastor and I, I prophesied. There's going to be ministry leaders, board members, church people. And Jesus is going to say, yeah, I don't know who you are. So in other words, Christianity has to go beyond 
outside activities and kind of belief, religious belief systems to a, we've heard it forever, to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That I walk and I, I talk with him. He lives within my body. Intimacy, kind of an idea. So the Lord really brought me back to Ephesians. And one of the major aspects of Ephesians, and there's a lens by which the early church operated. Pastor said it this morning, and it's really been on my heart for the last two years in particular, but really in the last year heavily, is that there's a lens that the early church viewed Christianity. There's a kind of perspective that they had. When you go back and look in the, or in the early church, you look in the first century, they just operated differently than a lot of the religious culture does today. I mean, they just did. What we consider abnormal, they considered normal. And one aspect of this normality is in Ephesians chapter 6. We're actually going to be in uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 4. But I want you to look at chapter 6, verse 12. Okay, Ephesians 6, 12. And I want you to just consider this. In Ephesians 6, 12, Paul is writing. Now again, let me say this again. This is a lens by which they saw through. This is not strange to their church. This is not strange for their community. It's not strange for this first century kind of church structure format perspective. He says in verse 12 of chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word for struggle literally means fist fight. Okay, what we battle, what we're struggling against. In today's society, I'm telling you, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to walk with the Lord. It's just hard. And you say, what do you mean it's just hard? In a manner of speaking, it's really not hard. But I mean, in this world, you will have trouble. You are going against the grain. If you, as a teenager, go to school and are going to authentically live with Jesus, you're going to dress different. Are you listening to me? You're going to talk different. Your entertainment choices are going to be different. You're going to respond. You're going to drive your car different. You're going to spend your money different. It's different. You're going against the grain. Okay? So you're in, a, you're in a battle. But get this. Your enemy for your struggle, your fight, is not physical. What's your, the problems in our country today. Oh, this needs to be on the news. The problem in our country today is not, it's not a political party. It's not past president, presidents or your current president. It's just not. We need to change the way we talk on Facebook. Our struggle, he says, of course, we can believe whatever you want, but the scriptures say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not physical. It's against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your adversary is a spirit. Seriously. Your adversary is spiritual. The problem is not your next door neighbor. The problem is the spiritual that's influencing. It is. If there's ungodliness being, you know, you know what, what would be the less academic term? Exercised, that's an academic term. Expressed. If there's ungodliness happening in our world, it's not, see, we can't just be like, well, we need a, a new physical solution a new physical set of leaders in our country. No, the problem is spiritual. It's spiritual. Seriously, dude, we need revival, man. And so I, I don't know how, you, I, I just, man, I plead, I want to plead with you. Seriously, I want to plead with you. 
I'm just, I'm getting to the point where I'm not into church. Oh, I'm into coming to church, but in terms of showing up to a building on Sunday and rehearsing what I believe and all that kind of stuff, come on, man. Come on, it's bigger than that. What I desire is to have an encounter. You with me? What I desire is having an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. I want to have an encounter with God. I was thinking about it during worship, uh, which I love your worship period. I was thinking about it during worship back when I got saved in 1995. In 1995, I had an encounter with Billy at a Billy Graham service with God. I had an encounter. God, God dealt with me. I walked out of that service and was like, man, God spoke to me. And no one said, I thought Billy Graham was speaking. Well, yeah, Billy Graham was speaking, but there was something beyond the physical going on in that setting. And I, I had an encounter. I want, I want you to have an encounter this morning. Our, our battle is not physical. And you haven't been equipped physically. You ever notice that? Like when you get saved, one of the things we've been talking about, go back with me if you'd be willing to Ephesians chapter 1. That when you get saved, not a lot physically changes in your life. You don't get smarter. You don't get younger. You don't become more agile. There are some physical things that, that take place as a result of spiritual change, obviously. And that can even be physical healing. We believe that. We saw that this weekend. How's your arm, by the way? I feel better. Woo! That's awesome. Yeah, she'll tell you all about it next Sunday. But there are some physical things that change because of the spiritual activity of God in your life. That's true. But man, the whole thrust of my life is spiritual. When I got saved, God, who is a spirit, came to live inside of my life. I, what, what's crazy is what makes you a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have two people living in your body. You and God. That's what makes you Christian. What makes you Christian is not I believe different. I have people all the time, it's so crazy in the South. You Southern people are just weird. <laughs> Not you guys, but in the South, it's seriously, it's weird. People like they say, oh, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I believe. It doesn't make you a Christian. Oh, it says you have, believing makes you a Christian. Yeah, but what does belief mean? Believing in, a, in a, some facts and information? Satan believes. Faith is an encounter. Faith is where that God comes and lives within my body. That's, that's what makes me a believer, man. I'm no longer living independent with him. That spirit comes and lives inside of me. The spirit of the living God, we call him the Holy Spirit because he's really holy. Now, when you come into Ephesians, here's what we've been looking at starting last night in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 down through verse 14 is how we are equipped spiritually. So it's, it's interesting. When you talk about, uh, especially when I talk with people about you know, this whole spiritual aspect of Christianity. Quite frankly, people are, they get a little fuzzy on that. They're like, what are you exactly you're talking about? That's scary. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. Paul gives us some handles for this. When God comes and lives in your life spiritually, there's going to be changes in your life physically. Okay. So we are equipped. That's a, it's, a, it's a really neat term. We are equipped we are sourced by the Spirit. Let me give you a quick example. Um, and it's in verse 3. Well, let, let's, just, let's just look at verse 3. Verse 3 is the first, at, uh, the first part of the sentence. When God moves in, this is what changes. Verse 3 says, The blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every 
one of the Spirit's blessings in Christ. That's a mouthful. Okay? We went through it last night. The first part of this verse that Paul says, when, when God, God moves into your life, when, when you count yourself as a child of God being saved, the blessed God blesses you. What we looked at last night is the attributes of the Father. That word blessed is an adjective. So the blessed God, the adjective blessed describing who God is, now is going to describe you. So all of the spiritual attributes of the Father are supposed to describe you. Those spiritual attributes are called down in the verse, every one of the Spirit's blessings. The, attribute of the attributes of the Father, the adjectives of the Father, that's the Holy Spirit. So when the Father takes what describes him and, and lets it describe you, he's taking his Holy Spirit and he's putting it in your life. With me? So as a Christian... You look like him, supposed to. What defines him defines you, supposed to. How he feels, you're supposed to feel. Why? Because his spirit lives inside of you. We call that the fruit of the spirit. It's one example of it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of who he is displayed in your life. That's the spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is a spirit, moves in your life. He bears fruit in you physically. So when God lives inside of you, you're going to be dominated by love. You're going to be dominated by joy. You're going to be dominated by peace. See, no child of God should live in despair or fear. Seriously, you just shouldn't. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be overcome with addiction. Why? Because the spirit of self-control lives inside of you. You're not controlled by substance abuse. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. I meet people all the time. And, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they're living in all kinds of other kinds of fruit. Well, their definition of Christian is a little off. They think they're a Christian because they know who he is. They believe that he exists. They go to a building on Sunday. Well, come on, man. That's not... That's not the language of the New Testament. Amen. The language of the New Testament is that when God moves in your life, you're different. You're the light of the world. You stand out. In a dark world, you are light. You look different. You sound different. You talk different. You think different. You are different. Why? Because you're not just living, you know, with God upstairs. You ever hear Christians talk like that? The man upstairs? Those NBA players, I love the NBA. I watch basketball. Yeah, the man upstairs. Dude, he's not upstairs. He's right here. He's supposed to be living inside of you. But there's this idea of Christianity that, oh, I'm a Christian. Why? And he's up there and he's looking down at me. And, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> Can you find that here? No. See, what Paul is saying is that your battle, your, the real issues in our world, they're spiritual, which means our, our problems in our world is that we don't allow that God to come down and live inside of our life and bring change. Seriously. I want you to come into your, I want everything that describes you to, to describe me. By the way, that's so radical. It's called being born again. Seriously, you're absolutely different. So what Paul is doing here to the church in Ephesus, he's reminding them, and, and they, they've heard him. I don't know if you know this about Ephesus. We gave some background this weekend, but um, the church in Ephesus, they, they were familiar with Paul. He, he, this was his base of operations. 
Like this, his protege Timothy pastored here. It birthed all the other churches in the area. If you go back and read in Acts chapters 19, 20, and 21, I think into 22, um, it's talked about Paul's lengthy ministry here. In the revival that took place when, when the, over a two-year period of time when the, when the church was transformed, it says down, I think around in the, in the 30s, <coughs> in the 30s somewhere, how what God did through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus didn't just rock Ephesus, it rocked all the province of Asia. So Colossae is one of the churches. Siri, I'm preaching. I just, it's so invasive. Isn't that awesome? Maybe she'll get saved. <laughs> but what was going on in Ephesus rocked the whole area. So Colossae is a town. We have a ch the church, uh, the letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians. That's a product of the ministry of Ephesus. This church is phenomenal. Laodicea, Philippi, all of these other churches, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, all those churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And those scattered throughout the New Testament, those are all the recipients of the ministry of this church right here. They're phenomenal. So Paul is writing to them what they believe. Here's the issue. I don't think it's the, it's the main emphasis for the church in the United States today. We don't typically talk like they do. Where God wants to influence you is not just physical. He wants to influence you spiritually. Come on, man. We got we to see different. We're going to think different. So well, I, want to, I want to just cover just a little bit this morning in verse four. And I want to be aware of time. Uh, Pastor Eric said you normally get out of here at 2.30. So we're going to, I want to be responsible with that. But I want to, uh, I want to just go, I want to, I want to go over and, and just, um, I want to speak over you. I want to declare over you. I want to, I want to speak good things about you this morning from verse four. This is how the early church, specifically this church in Ephesus, this is how they talked about themselves. Okay, this is an attribute. In verse 4, it reads, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Let's condense that. He chose us. Are you with me? He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Okay. We'll look at three things with you. First off, you're chosen and you're chosen to be holy and blameless. Now chosen. Number one, there are a few different Greek words for chosen in the new Testament. Okay. There's a few different Greek words for chosen. This word chosen is a compound Greek word made up of the two words ek and lego. Ek and lego. Now, in order to understand this choosing, because again, there's a variety of kinds of choosing. In order to understand this word, you got to understand the words that are put together to form it. Okay. The word ek in Greek means out of. Okay. The words ek, the word ek in Greek means out of. So like, you know, um, out of, out of, uh, out of my car, I leapt this morning and ran into church. I came out of the car. Okay. He walks out of the bathroom. That's contrasted with walking into the bathroom. Okay. It's a simple word out of. So the word calling has to do with you're called out of something. Okay. Not all choosing is like that. 
I choose this? I choose that. What's your favorite color? Uh, red. Well, that's, that's, that, that's a type of choosing, but that's not this choosing. This kind of choosing, when it says that God chooses you before the foundation of the world, he wants to pull you out of something. What it means to be a Christian is, are you willing to be pulled out? Are you willing to be singled out? So it's out of is the first aspect of this word. The second aspect of this word is lego, and that's going to need some explanation. Lego means to say or to call. But here's the interesting thing. There's a couple different words for say or to call in the New Testament. The two main ones are lego, this term, and laleo. And you're like, what's the difference? Laleo means to say, can be translated to call, but laleo is a... When it's talking about to say something, it's speaking in generality. It's kind of a general saying. Um, it's also translated to speak. Um, when the guy who was a deaf mute, okay, meaning he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak, was healed, it says that he spoke for the first time. And the word there is laleo. The emphasis of that word is on just the act of speaking. It's kind of a generic word like he said something. No one in the passage or no one in that context, no one in that scene said, what did he say? Well, no one cared what he said. He spoke. He never spoke before. That's what Laleo is. Laleo is a generic way to talk about speaking. Lego is not. Lego, hear this, is precise. Lego, all the places in the New Testament where Jesus is preaching and teaching, it's Lego. When he says, verily, verily, I say, on, uh, I say unto you, and then he preaches, the word say there is lego. The emphasis is not on the act of speaking. The emphasis is on the content. So in other words, the emphasis is never on how good of a speaker Jesus is. It's on the content that he's saying. I wonder, sometimes I go to church, and obviously, honestly, not your church, but um, sometimes I go to church and people are not paying attention. And then they have the call to say, oh yeah, I was in church this morning. No, you weren't. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a funny story. It's a true story. Um, when I was in college, I got the opportunity to preach. I was looking for any opportunity I could to preach. And uh, the first big opportunity that came was the Indianapolis district. Uh, the Nazarene church is divided up in districts, with, you know, kind of like these areas with all these churches. Well, all the churches in this one little area around Indianapolis, Indiana, which is actually kind of the middle belt of Indiana, they were all um, going on pastors and wives retreat. And so all these pastors had to fill in. So they were having all these places and they were calling the college. And so they posted it up on the bulletin board that you needed to, that Brazil church, I probably shouldn't say which church it was, but it was Brazil Church of the Nazarene. And it was a bigger church. It was like four or 500 people. They needed a speaker. Man, I snatched that thing, called the pastor, and just a couple weeks in advance, he's like, yeah, Jeremiah, okay, yeah, you've, you spoke in our district before, you know, Team K, yeah, we'll have you speak. So I'm all excited. So I drive down there, man, super early on Sunday morning, left the college, about an hour and a half drive, drove down there, and um, I come in, the pastor was gone, met the staff and all this, and, and another pastor was coming through the area, he lived out west, and he was on vacation, but... He was compelled that even if you're on vacation, you go to church on Sunday. Because if Jesus comes back, you don't want to go to hell. <laughs> Which makes all kinds of sense. And so uh, I met him and his family. Well, I, so we had the worship service and it's neat. And then I stand up to preach. This is 100% no embellishment. 100% true story. 
So I stand up to preach. They, they worship's over. They do everything they do. So I go up, and in Brazil, it, it kind of has a stadium feel type seating wraps around. So I go up to preach, and, and I, I set my Bible on the pulpit, and I turn around, and I see that pastor sitting about four or five rows back, and his wife and daughter are sitting beside him. But his wife, this is way back in the day, this is mid-90s, before phones and all this kind of stuff, cell phones. And she has a newspaper. You know what newspapers are? I don't know if you even know what newspapers are. <laughs> I, I've said newspapers. He's like, what's a newspaper? Think of the past. She's got this newspaper opened up. In front, and her and her daughter are like hidden behind it and they're reading the newspaper. And I just, I was shocked. And I, it just came out of me. I didn't have a filter back then. And I went, you got to be kidding me. You're reading the newspaper? And she like folded it and lowered it, scowled at me. And I was like, I'm not your husband. I'm not afraid of you. I was like, that's pathetic. Dude, her husband was glowing red. I don't, he never called me for revival. I mean, I don't think he would ever. But I was like, you know, but it was interesting because I talked to him before the service. Well, we're on vacation, but we always go to church. You're in a church, man. See, you're there, but you're not there. Are you with me? Come on. See, when, when, when the emphasis is not on the activity. See, Lego is emphasis on content. See, coming to church is not just a warm body in a building. Can you imagine that? Standing at the day of judgment. Looking at the guy in front of you and Jesus is all flabbergasted. Well, I was going to send you to hell, but you came to church every Sunday. <laughs> Let him in. Don't give him a house. Give him a trailer. <laughs> well, come on, man. That's so silly. That's not what this is about. So when Jesus is preaching, he uses the term lego, which is an emphasis on content. Come on, there's something to be said. There's something to be embraced, to be heard, to be shaped. That's what Lego is. In fact, Lego is a primitive term. Just because you're being good, I'll give you some word study. Most of the Greek term, like our Bible is written in Greek, but really specifically it's written in what we call Koine Greek, which literally means street Greek. It's not academic Greek. It's not, it's not formal Greek. It's, hey, what's up? How you been? Seriously, it's, it's, the, it's the street language of their day. Isn't that cool? God is communicating to us in ordinary, average street terminology. Now, if you go back to other different kinds of Greek, like classical Greek, there's actually primitive Greek. In primitive Greek, everything was like agricultural. This term lego was used to describe how farmers would lay out grass or hay after they cut it. They would lay it out so it would dry out. So Lego was to lay something out to dry. But as the culture became more sophisticated, terms began to be pulled into college settings. So this term Lego was no longer an agricultural term, could be used that way, but it became a philosophical term to lay out an argument plain for everybody to understand. It has this emphasis on content, education. It's a precise term. Now hear this, the reason I'm telling you all that is because when God calls you, it's not generic. That's so good. Come on, before the foundation of the world, he specifically thought of you. Dude, he thought of your skin color, your eye color. That's this term. That's what it means to be called. He called you out. See, God never looks down and was like, oh, 
Oh, there's Eric. I forgot all about him. I don't know. Stick him in Chattanooga. I'll deal with him later. Come on, man. That's not it. The Bible says you are wonderfully. Dude, racism is so stupid. I struggle with Tennessee more than other places, quite honestly. Because there's still like... It's a weird dynamic, at least where I live in the, in the area. Racism, not just logically, but biblically, is so silly. Seriously, it's so silly. I, we come from a multi-ethnic family, okay? There's only one human race. There's not more. Anybody says, what race are you? Human. Come on, there's one human race. There's different ethnicities. I have a multiple ethnic family. We have Hispanic, we have white, and we have, what is what is, <laughs> I don't know if you're, I don't know if I can say this online. I probably can say this online. Javion says we are dark chocolate, milk chocolate, and white chocolate. That's what he calls us. That's what my son says. But we're, 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 we're totally, we're totally free. I don't know if you're free. I get, I may get bum rushed afterwards, but, but we're totally free. Okay. We're all the same race with diff, different ethnicities. But the deal is, is God chose you. He chose your skin color. I mean, he really did, man. That's this word. You've been called out from the general. You've been called out from before the foundation of the world. When I got saved, um, I grew up with the name Jeremiah. And uh, it's changed. I think it's becoming, I don't know what it is now. I heard it's kind of more common now. But when I was a kid, it was like old-fashioned. Seriously. And then there was that song. And it was just, it was, you know... No, seriously, I, I, wanted to have a, I wanted to have a masculine, like a really masculine, manly name, like Eric. <laughs> That's what I've always wanted, that be, an Eric. But I didn't have. I, I, I was stuck with Jeremiah, and people called me Jerry or Jeremy or Jeremy and all Jerry, all those kind of stuff. And so I never did like my name. In fact, I went by Jay when I was in the Marine Corps. Back in my jersey when I played basketball, it was Jay. And um, when I got saved, I opened up the Bible and, you know, I, I, there's a book in there with my name on it. Yeah. I was like, take that, Eric. You know? Yeah, so, so, uh, I, so I started reading. I started reading the book of Jeremiah. And you know what it says, Jeremiah? This is a beautiful story. Jeremiah was this normal, average, everyday son of a priest in ministry school. And he has a knock at his, at his freshman dorm one day. And he opens it up. And God is standing there. And Jeremiah's like, hey. And God says, I've got this mission for you. I want you freshmen. Imagine being like a 17, 16-year-old kid in their culture. He says, I want you to go down, young man, to the leaders of Israel. And I want you to walk in and I want you to give them a message from me. Jeremiah's like, dude, I ain't doing that. Find somebody else. You know what God said? Before you were born, I singled you out. I, ch I chose you. you, you I'm telling you, you cannot just blend. I talk to people about, oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. That sounds general. Come on, who are you? There's no, there's no general in Christian. No generality. It's specific. I mean, look at uh, Jonah. God tells Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He's like, I ain't going to Nineveh. Nineveh's like Michigan. I ain't going to Michigan. It's cold in Michigan. I'm staying in Tennessee. Everybody wants to live in Tennessee. So he tells, he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. 
he gets into a boat. He's like, I'm out of here. Where's he going? He's going Hawaii. <laughs> Would you believe me if I told you that Jonah could have went to Hawaii, planted a movement of God there, and won the whole island of Hawaii, and died and went to hell? But he would have done a bunch of good stuff. Doesn't matter. God's not in it for you doing good things. He's into you doing God things. Hear me on this. You were chosen before the foundation of the world and you have significance and purpose. You're special and unique. He has a specific call for you at a specific season in a whole specific agenda. God literally, literally has this whole tapestry and looks at it and says, oh, I've got to have one piece or it's not going to be right. And that one piece is you. It's one piece is you. He wants to indwell you. He's created you. He's given you your personality, your skin color, the intelligence level, your family, everything about you. Everything about you has been shaped. That's this term. You've been called out from the masses and you're special. If you're not into that, no pressures. Don't be Christian. Come on, serious. It's not about good or bad. It's about being his. That's his term. So it's what, this is what he says. When he's talking about God moving in your life, the first thing he says is he chose you. He called you out with specific. He pulled you out in unique. I could go on about this uniqueness. I give all these illustrations. I'll give you one more since you're so excited. Um, when I, one of the illustrators commentaries that I read on this, this scholar had talked about our fingerprints. And it brought me back to when I was a little kid I was in kindergarten and our teacher was talking about how unique we all were and how special we all were. And because um, I grew up in an area where there was there were certain areas of our county where it was like, you know, all African-Americans, all, you know, white. There was all you know, there were all these different. But our school was kind of like a hodgepodge where they all came together. And so our teacher, the very beginning of class in, in, in kindergarten was like, let's just get this out of the way. Each and every one of us are unique and special. And she went through this and she used the illustration that this scholar did. She said, I want everybody in. In fact, we'll do it this morning. She said, I want everybody to raise your hands up like this. Get your act together. Get your hands up, young man. I said, we'll just wait all day. I got all day. Turn them around and look at them. And on the ends of your fingers, you're going to see these really squirrely lines. You older folks can give it up. You ain't going to see them. But, you know, you're going to see these little squiggly lines. What are those called? Those are called? All right, you can put them down. They're called fingerprints. Did you know? That my, my teacher said, did you know those are the only, think about this. Those are the only sets of fingerprints that not only are currently on the face of the planet, they're the only sets of fingerprints that have ever been and ever will be. And I was like, I remember looking at me and I was looking at my buddy and I was like, dude, there, she's, she's full of hot air. She doesn't know she's not. Ours were the same. But as I grew older, I realized, wow, you're unique. I mean, you're unique. You're special. That's this word. Now, within this chosen, there is, this is so neat. In the uniqueness, there is, there is specialness and uniqueness that we all share. This is kind of difficult. I think it's easy for us to understand. But you have been chosen, okay? So you're special. But being special is a universal universal we're all special it's not like uniquely chosen one person is special than another we're all equally special but we're all absolutely unique 
Isn't that interesting? Okay. He talks about this specialness in these terms. He chose us to be holy and blameless. Holy is a phenomenal term. I want you to look at it with me, uh, how it's used in our New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 2, verse 48. You know there's like five, six different words for holy in the New Testament? You know what this word holy is? People's like, oh, it's like the attribute that describes God. No. Yes, but it's not the main one. This word for holy means wow. It means wow. Listen, look at this. Chapter Luke chapter four, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter two, verse 47. And it's um, Jesus is in the temple and he's been, he's been teaching and, and mom and dad have been looking for him for a few days. Go on a few verses. He's going to get grounded. But in verse 47, it says, everyone who heard him was amazed. That's our term. Isn't that funny? It's amazed. What are you saying? That God uniquely fashioned me and put me together that people might look at me and go, Wow. The dude's incredible. Yes. Yes. You were created for, wow. Let me give you another one. Uh, this one is in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse, this is my favorite. Acts chapter 4, if you're going to come into, uh, you're going to read the passage, basically Peter and John, verse 7, it says, then uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them by what power and what name do you do these things? And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit sets them straight. These are ignorant, ordinary guys in their eyes. Think about this. They are ignorant, ordinary fishermen is what they're called. In their eyes, they're general. But you know how God sees you? I love this. I go into teens, I go into teen meetings and I love finding I love finding the individual that feels left out. They're not athletically inclined. They're not highly intelligent. They don't come from a good home. Blah, 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 blah. Because in the world, they're just, they're kind of, you know, they're not six foot eight, play basketball. You know, they're not from a very prominent family. They seem to be pushed off to the side. I love to go to those and say, but do you know how he sees you? Sooner or later, teens hear this, for those of you here that are teenagers. And basically, what I mean by that is everyone under 30, in my eyes, is now a teenager because I'm old. But I just, I would, I would really want to, sooner or later, you're going to have to stop sulking. And I can say that because you're not my kid. <laughs> okay? Probably should have waited until I got my check. But uh, <laughs> seriously, sooner or later, you're going to have to stop sulking. You're going to stop. And some of the adults, you never got out of that. Everybody's got a story. I, something new happened to me this summer, this last summer at camp. Um, I was in a home where dad beat mom and beat me and my, kid, my younger siblings. And she finally left him. And uh, I was hospitalized. And um, he was a very bad man. Um, I grew up on the wrong side that we were very, very poor. I worked a full-time job going through high school. So I'd go to school from eight to three and then I would work a full time. I'd go down to the gas station. I worked from 3.30 to 11.30 because we had to have money. So I was from a very poor family. I've been on my own son, 15, was driving a car. By that time I was an adult. I was an adult, bought my own clothes, paid for my own lunches. I did all that. I just had a very unique, unique upbringing. It was very difficult. Um, 
I had no parental guidance. Mom was just trying to survive. So I developed alcohol and drug addiction at a young age, 14, 15 years old. Um, by the time I was um, 21, 22, um, I was in the military and I had to go in the military because of, of legal trouble. And, and, um, and back in those days, you could either go to jail or go to the military. And so I went to the military. And in 1995, I was kicked out of the military for drug abuse. I was, I'm 6'4", about 225. And when I was kicked out, I was 6'4", and weighed 128 pounds. And I was, a, I was a meth addict. And a family, a Christian family in Southern California took me in and loved me. You know what they said to me? Pull your act together. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Seriously, I don't want to hear about your parentage. I don't want to hear about your skin color. Come on, quit blaming everybody else for you. And it took me to a Billy Graham crusade and I got saved. So this last year I'm at this camp and I'm sharing my testimony and this young girl looked at me and she goes, I never would have guessed that because I don't wear that as a badge. Come on, listen to me. You do not have to be the way you've always been. I don't care where you come from. I don't care who your parents are. Jesus chose you. I'm telling the truth, man. Look around. I'm telling you, listen to the old, look at the adults. You can be different. You don't have to be the way you've always been. You're special. You can believe it. You can believe what he says about you versus what everybody else in the world says about you. You do not have to believe the way you've always been. He can literally take you. It's just dream for you. That's this verse. The first thing out of Paul's mouth is says, listen, he's talking to Gentiles, not Jews. Tell him I'll call him back. He's talking to the Gentiles, not Jews. And he says, the first thing when you hear the gospel is, listen, okay, this is, go back and read Ephesus. Read the cultural diversity and racism that was going on in Ephesus. Go read it. Seriously, it's astounding. We make it like it's, this is a new thing in our country. Dude, it was a thing back then. It was a thing back then. The first thing Paul says in church is that's not coming in here. We do not see ourselves the way the world does. You are wonderfully and beautifully made. <laughs> Dude, that's so good. You're special, man. Take all that junk that the culture wants to say about you and dump it. You can if you want to. Seriously, I've met people that walk around. My wife and I have been in inner city children's ministry for what? 10, 12 years. Bring them in our home. We've adopted. We've done all these kinds of things. And then <laughs> we've done all these kinds of things. We didn't adopt legal guardianship. But we did all these kinds of, uh, in terms of, and I say the same thing to all of them. I don't allow that in my home. We are equal. You have a plan for your life. Dude, that's so liberating. But people get identity in their they, they, they get there. It's almost like they get used to being a victim. Seriously. Well, you don't know what's happened to me. It, my story was worse than yours. I know what it's like to be abused. I know what it's like not to be able to walk. I know what it's like to have broken bones. And I live in a day when that was allowed. You can't even beat your kids today. Terrible. <laughs> no, that jokingly. You can, you can smack them, but it has to be a glancing blow. It's what Eric tells me. Um, but back in my day, dude, they just take you in the bathroom. My dad just wear you out. You came to school with bruises and a limp. They're like, yeah, I bet he won't do that again. It was a different day and age. So don't talk. Don't come on, man. This isn't a new thing, what you're going through. You can be free of that. It's so beautiful, dude. If you could, but you got to say, I'm going to take his word over my word. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm begging you. Come on, drop the victim stuff. 
I can be who God wants me to be. You were created for wow. And if you settle for anything less, it's, you, can, you can do it if you want to, but you ain't gonna get my sympathy. I've been in homeless ministry for over 26 years. The worst thing you can do for a homeless person is give them money. Oh, he's insensitive. Maybe, but I'm, I'm still, it's still true. Seriously, the first thing we do with homeless people, when we bring them in, homeless guys have been living on the street. We come in, we strip them down, they get bed bugs, all these kinds of things. We get them put in a place, we give them homes. We always find a cell phone. We always find a P.O. box. We always find registered with the state for food stamps, medical care. We always find that they make anywhere between 12 and 20 grand a year. Well, then why are they, why are they begging for money? Drugs. Because not all, but the vast majority want to be home. See, they want help to continue in their addiction. I'm not interested in that. If you want to continue in your addiction, there you go. But if you want to be free, we'll take you in. We're going to do whatever it takes for you to be successful. We have a couple, Mick and Grace. Both of them were, hum- uh, were there on our board at the school. Both of them were homeless. Isn't that incredible? You don't seem impressed. <laughs> they were homeless, man. Married. Four kids. Dude, you can be different. I'm, I'm different, man. Seriously, I'm different. We got to get out of here, but I got a, I got an email for my class reunion. This is hysterical. Tom Maddox. Okay. He's up in Indiana. He's like, wow. Hey, you're still alive. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I was voted most likely to be in prison or dead. You got to come and give your testimony. It's about Jesus. Well, we're not sure you can say that. One last story for I, I pray for this. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Um, no embellishment. I went back several years ago to my home church. And the pastor there put my picture all around town. Coming for revival, Jeremiah Bullock. So all these people that I'd grown up with, they showed up. And they're like, is this a scam? Is this your latest scam? I'm legit, man. I'm legit. My Algebra 1 teacher, Mr. Kirkland, showed up. The guy that like never aged, who still looked the same farm guy, you know, gets out of the car. He's older now, he's retired, and he's walking up, and I was so intimidated of this guy. He walks up to the front, and he just stands there and stares at me, and I went, hi, Mr. Kirkland. And he goes, Jeremiah. He goes, I had to come and see this for myself. <laughs> That's 100% what he said. And then he came in and he attended all week. And he came up on Wednesday night. He's crying. He puts his arms around me and he goes, I love what Jesus is doing in your life. I was like, dude, that's so cool. I want to pray with us this morning. And uh, could you come? Hey, there's no pressure on this. Um, And I, I do tend to get a little aggressive. And I just want to tell you that I did it on purpose. Because I just, I think we're in a... We live in a day and age where I think it's healthy to have someone once in a while reach out and just smack you around a little bit. Seriously. You, just, you, you, need, someone, you need someone in your life to poke you and say, come on, man, I love you. They do, I love you. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. And he is not going to tolerate anything less than your best. I've proven to you biblically. 
You say you prove me? Yeah, because I know the Bible better than you. And I know the Greek. I can take you those words. I can take you the origin of those terms. That's the whole reason I did that. So you know I'm not making it up. That literally, literally, he will not tolerate anything than your best. So when you go home and I'm an idiot and all that, he says, no, you're not. You're not allowed to talk like that in my presence. Why? Because it's not you. That's not allowed in the kingdom. You're not dumb. You're not a loser. You're not. You're not worthless. You're not ruined. I don't care what happened to you. You know, I was abused. Doesn't matter. I was abused. When Jesus comes in you, the change is so radical, they call it being born again. That's so radical that Nicodemus was like, I don't know what that means. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not sure either. But here's the deal. You're completely, you're completely new. You're not second. Dude, if you would only believe what he says about you. I love you. In the name of Jesus, I love you. I want you to believe everything he says about you. Don't settle for less. Settle for his word about you. For more information, visit www.jeremiahbullock.com. That's www.jeremiahbullock.com.